This is Marriage to the Max, episode number 85. Welcome to another episode of Marriage to the Max. I'm your host, Kelly Hurst. Hello, host Kelly Hurst. And you are? Co-host Brett Hurst. Wow. We're marriage educators, believe it or not, and co-founders of Home Encouragement. And this podcast is designed to help you take your marriage to the next level. Well, that's certainly why I'm here. Yes. (laughs) That's all I have to say. (laughs) Well, today's episode is called triggers. Am I hitting your triggers right what now? What are they? Triggers, what are they? That's the name of the episode. Yeah, triggers. <laughs> and of course, you and I, we don't have these at all, I'm sure. The wonderful trigger. The triggers are wonderful thing. Yes. <laughs> Our triggers have actually been pressed, even this morning. Yeah, you have a few hot buttons. <laughs> oh, I do. You have none, right? <laughs> You're Mr. Perfect. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right, we are settling in to what is a trigger? Other names for triggers can be hot buttons. Uh, what other names are there? Triggers, hot buttons, that's probably about it. Uh, those two work. <laughs> yes. Well, relationship coach Kyle Benson defines a trigger as an issue that is sensitive to our heart. Yes. Typically something from our childhood or maybe a previous relationship. Triggers are emotional buttons that we all possess, Mm -hmm. and when those buttons are pushed, we are reminded of a memory or a situation from the past, and we react accordingly. It is interesting to note that we all have them. We all have them, for sure. And so some of our listeners know that I have, through the years, dealt with a fear of flying, which I am getting... You're doing so... Well over these days. You are... (laughs) doing so well on that. But one of the things that... We have flown all over the continental U.S. I know, it's very exciting. One of the things that has really helped me is a, uh, it's a fear of flying course that I will highly recommend called SOAR, S-O-A-R, by Captain Tom Bunn, who is a retired airline pilot and licensed professional counselor. Hmm. Anyway... And I'm grateful for Captain Tom. I love Captain Tom. (laughs) I've never met Captain Tom, but I love Captain Tom. Anyway, doing this fear of flying course, I've learned a lot about the part of the brain known as the amygdala. Mm -hmm. And one of the main jobs of the amygdala is to constantly scan for danger. And it will set off an alarm when it deems something as a threat. It's a God-given tool to help you protect yourself. Exactly. And then when it does see something that might be a threat, it sends out stress hormones to the rest of the brain and throughout the body, which triggers our fight or flight or freeze behavior. Okay. So it's a good thing. It is a good thing. So when we're triggered, all of our senses are heightened and we're reminded, sometimes consciously, sometimes not consciously, Mm -hmm. of a prior example where we may have felt threatened or endangered or, you know, something along those lines. So in other words, sometimes we're in touch with the previous wound or pain. Probably most of the time we're not. Sometimes not at all. Exactly. We have no idea. Mm -hmm. I think the best example of a trigger is the, uh, the example of the war veteran who has returned home from being on the front lines of battle. Mm-hmm. And he's home now and he's living his civilian life, but every time he hears a car backfire, 
he thinks it's gunfire and it triggers him back to that danger mm-hmm. zone. Serious stuff. Yeah, it's very serious, and but we all deal with it. So I, I like to tell the story that the one that really shaped me in really understanding how triggers work are, I took I, I did a workshop a number of years ago, and we uh, had a therapist there who was teaching about hot buttons and triggers. And she brought a, a couple up to sort of practice what this might look like. And so she asked this young couple, she was like, okay, what's a typical kind of thing that pushes your buttons? And the husband said, well... Um, I tend to run late everywhere I go, like five, 10 minutes late everywhere. And she gets so mad because Mm. she is uber punctual, just always on time, never, ever, ever runs late. And she gets really mad when I run late or when anyone does for that matter. And so the therapist asked the young woman, she said, well, you know what, what do you think kind of contributes to that? And she kind of thought for a little bit. And she was like, I don't know. I just, I was raised to be on time and mm-hmm. da, 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 da. And so it she, sounds like that was just a personal value, yeah, but, but there's more of the but story. There was more of the story. And yeah. as the woman thought about it, she remembered being a young girl, her parents were divorced, mm-hmm. and she said every Friday at six o'clock, my dad was supposed to come and pick me up, and I would have my little suitcase packed, you know, little girl, mm-hmm. six, seven years old. Mm-hmm. She said, I have my suitcase packed, I'd be waiting at the front window for him to pull up, and inevitably, he would run late. Mm-hmm. And she said every time he would run late, my mother would just start nagging and putting him down and mm-hmm. saying, see, he doesn't even really care about you enough to be on time and mm-hmm. da 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 da. And it sort of was just this terrible ang- anxiety producing mm-hmm. experience for this little girl who didn't have a voice to really protect her dad. The mom know, was projecting all of her Absolutely. bitterness of the divorce and so forth. Yeah. So as this woman is telling the story, of course, she starts crying because she probably hadn't thought about this in years. Mm-hmm. Her husband starts crying because he's never heard this story of mm. this little, you know, when she was a little girl. Yeah. And all of a sudden, these pieces start, you know, making sense for him. And he's like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. that's why it's it's almost hurtful to you when someone runs late. And it was just this, I mean, everyone in the class was like, you know, crying because it was this huge epiphany of realizing there is a wound story Mm -hmm. behind this thing. And in that case, the husband was invited into the story and into the details of that story. Yeah. And so I think of that all the time because I think, you know, most likely that husband probably didn't change his ways and just become completely punctual after that experience. But I bet you any time... She got upset with him for being late. Mm-hmm. I bet he had a lot more compassion around what was behind that whole button, that mm-hmm. trigger. Yeah, you tend to get more cognizant of that story once you've heard it, once you've been invited into it, and Absolutely. you start expressing empathy with that story. Yeah, and I think it brings so much compassion, which is what we're going to get to, hopefully, by the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. So just a reminder, you know, triggers can be big things. They can be small things. When we get triggered, we might get really angry or very upset. And sometimes we can even experience maybe anxiety attacks uh, or the fight or the flight response, depending on, you know, how intense uh, the trigger situation is. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just really, I think this is a great conversation. And Brett, you and I deal with a lot of couples where they'll be in conflict about, you know, maybe a couple of different things. We'll sit with them. And oftentimes triggers comes up, yeah. you know, it's a hot buttons thing. And we realize that it plays a bigger role in married couples conflict than we think it does. Right. So even in a setting with us, we're in a relatively calm conversation, then the trigger gets 
triggered, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden we're in something really intense. Yeah, yeah. And and that's so typical, normal. It is totally normal. Yeah. Uh, triggers can come from childhood. They can come from traumatic experiences. They can even come from just previous relationships. Mm-hmm. But we all have them, so it's important to understand and be mindful of what our own triggers are and what our partner's triggers are. So we always start with people telling them to figure out your own trigger. Mm -hmm. Because while your spouse has triggers, you have them too. And we all have, you know, memories. Sometimes they're repressed memories of from our unconscious that creep up when we're triggered. So we should be aware of the things that upset or anger us individually. I know it's tempting sometimes to focus on what your partner's triggers are so you can kind of <laughs> fix your partner. But before you figure your partner out, you've got to know yourself. You got to figure that trigger. Figure that trigger. <laughs> That's good, Brett. Well, Very you. good. We're big I'm believers. We're big believers in working on yourself first and then focusing on your spouse. And I think that's a biblical idea too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get the what's the scripture that says get the the plank out the of your plank own out eye. of your own eye before you're worrying about the speck in your partner's eye, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, figure your own trigger first, and then figure the trigger of your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to think of triggers as pre-existing conditions. I like that. They were most likely installed long before you met your spouse. Um, To form a stronger bond with your spouse, you need to be aware of what those push-button triggers are, that they can elicit really negative reactions. Uh, For example, if your spouse had an alcoholic parent, then you getting drunk could be a trigger. Yeah, And, and I think that's a good point, what you said a second ago, is that most of these were in place before... Most couples met each other. Right. You know, unless you dated your childhood yeah. sweetheart or something like that. Yeah. Um, most most think, likely these triggers were formed earlier in life. Yeah. And and there are triggers that can happen in our current relationship sure. because we hurt each other and we're, we're imperfect. Right. But a lot of these, I think, go back more to childhood, teenage years, maybe young adult years. Previous dating relationships. Yes. Sometimes previous marriages. Yeah. If, if this is your second marriage or uh, so forth. Yeah. So when we talk about triggers that were caused long before you met your spouse, here's a good way of how you can think about it. Imagine if you tapped a person lightly on the arm and that person's bone just shattered. Oh my. You know, you may have triggered the shattering, but you didn't cause that bone to be weak. You Mm -hmm. didn't, you know, you didn't cause the bone's extreme weakness. And so that's that for me, that's helpful in understanding pre-existing triggers, because a lot of times when we realize that we have triggered someone, Mm -hmm. we tend to wear a lot of the, oh my gosh, I, I didn't mean to do that. I'm, I just, and we got to realize we just triggered it. We didn't necessarily cause the pain right. that was there before the button was installed, and so to speak. Th- there's something fascinating about the nature of marriage that uh, causes us to <laughs> unwittingly seek out one another's triggers. We don't even know we're doing it. I know. I think it's the, the some of the safety and some of the uh, insulation of marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a really uh, uncanny thing. Yeah, the proximity of marriage alone right. is going to cause us to bump into each other and hurt each other. That's true. Well, I want to take a moment to thank our very first sponsor of the Marriage to the Max podcast. Marriage to the Max is so happy to be partnering with a great company. Teamy Blends is a detoxing program that is super easy and incredibly beneficial. Brett, did you know that we hold... 10 to 15 pounds of toxins in our colons. Sick. 
<laughs> I bet you I didn't know you'd be talking about, about this today. No, that's fine. And, and these toxins cause us to feel bloated, have low energy, low metabolism, and they make us have a harder time losing weight. Well, Teamy Blends has come up with a two-step program that I have actually participated in. I did the whole 30 days, and I can honestly say I felt a lot better. We all want to feel better, of course. Um, it's simple, it's not expensive, and it really helped to kind of put a spring in my step. And I can tell you feel better. Thank you. All you have to do is you drink your Teamy Skinny Tea in the morning, and then you drink your Colon Cleanse Tea every other night, and that's it. Yeah. It's well, super easy. I'm all for cleansing <laughs> that Cleansing colon. out the pipes. Yeah, that's right. It's super easy, and it really does taste good. And right now, Marriage to the Max listeners can get 15% off any order. That's right. You just go to teamyblends.com, and that's spelled T-E-A-M-I, teamyblends.com, and use the code marriage to get 15% off any order. So I hope you'll try Teamy Blends. You'll feel so much better. And I want to say a big thank you to Teamy Blends for their sponsorship. So the code is marriage, not marriage. Marriage, not marriage. Marriage, Marriage. right. Very good. So getting back to triggers, there are a lot of different types of triggers. Most of them, I think, like you said, Brett, earlier, we're probably unaware of them. It's not forefront in our minds. Yeah. And like who walks around talking about, you know, getting in touch with our triggers other than weird people like us. Mm -hmm. Um, Some triggers are tied to past trauma. However, and I thought this was really interesting as I was kind of doing a little research on this. There's a group of emotional triggers that are common to nearly all people that affect most couples in ways they don't easily grasp. Thomas Pfeiffer, I think is how you say his name, F-I-F-F-E-R, says there are five universal triggers that can sort of set off explosive reactions. Mm -hmm. And the five areas are respect, value, resentment, stagnation, and despair. And we're going to kind of unpack these because as I read through them, I was like, these are actually pretty universal. And, And when we talk with couples and work with couples, any one of these can be present. Right. And we've seen all of them. Oh, yeah, for sure. So the first one is the respect trigger. And this typically looks like when you're dismissing your partner's complaints, or you're just kind of not paying attention to your partner's opinions. Um, Nothing does more damage to the integrity of your relationship than not taking your partner's concerns seriously. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, no matter how minor or irrational the issue may seem to you, ignoring them, minimizing them, cutting off your partner in mid-sentence, or countering them all the time with your own complaint or your opinion. Or stupid joke. Yeah, or, or, <laughs> or worse, telling your partner they're crazy for feeling that way. Right. Um, all of this sort of plays into this um, respect trigger. And so according to this gentleman, uh, Thomas Pfeiffer, the best way to avoid the respect triver, trigger mm-hmm. is to equate respect with listening and realize that you don't have to agree to respect your partner's position. Mm-hmm. I just I find that so fascinating how few people are able to sit and engage with someone that they may not even wholeheartedly agree with. Sure. But but they feel like they can't offer them a listening ear and a respectful engagement without totally agreeing with them. Well, clearly we have lost the art of listening, period. Before you even get into the whole values thing and the polarization thing and the things that we are experiencing coast to coast right now. Uh, but you know, just, just as a starting block, yeah. uh, what a great 
thing it is as a human being to learn the art of listening and listening well. For sure. Yeah, in the in the political realm. Well, I guess in every realm, social media, so many things, people have lost the art of dialogue and all they do is debate. Mm-hmm. We just debate, debate, debate. Mm-hmm. And we're really just not willing to sit and engage and listen. I could actually learn something from someone I disagree with. Right. Well, and don't you think that people that have developed the art of listening don't you respect them more? I mean, you feel oh my like, gosh. like, okay, this person is um, differentiated, mm-hmm. self-defined, uh, wise, does not seem insecure mm-hmm. because they have to just blurt out their opinion before you even finished your statement. Yeah. It's so life-giving to be with people like that. Mm-hmm. I, I really, I, I, I want to keep honing that in my own life. So that's the respect trigger. A lot of people deal with that. A lot of couples deal with that. So that that trigger gets impacted frequently and easily in a lot of people. Yes. The second trigger is the value trigger. And this is kind of when you come across as inconsiderate. Mm -hmm. If there are little things that you do or maybe big things that you do or don't do that leave your partner feeling that your needs and satisfaction always come first. Uh-huh. That's kind of where this lands. These these actions or these omissions may make no difference to you, but they make all the difference to your spouse. When, you, when you're forgetful, when you're inattentive, unconcerned with your partner's emotional state, when you fail to give them recognition. Mm-hmm. We were just sitting with a couple recently, and the, the, one of the spouses had accomplished a really important career change accomplishment yeah Yeah, and the other partner just hadn't really weighed in very Mm -hmm. much and Mm -hmm. and we had to sort of kind of help them walk through that Mm -hmm. about how important that is we're we're talking about the art of being thoughtful yeah definitely uh you know when you take your partner or what your partner does for granted it triggers this feeling that you just don't value them you don't appreciate them and this is really key because this is what i want people to know you are not the judge of how devalued your partner may feel. Mm-hmm. Unpack that. What I, mean, I know what you mean. But. Yeah. What I mean by that is if I get my feelings hurt about something and you come along, Brett, and say, well, that's a dumb thing to get your feelings hurt about. Mm-hmm. Or why are you making such a big deal about this? What, what gives me the right to even right. say that? I'm not inside you. Yeah. Because you you don't really have the right to judge how I feel and I don't have the right to judge how you feel. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times we do that when we're married. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it stems from because we just don't know how to deal with the our partner's hurt or mm-hmm. pain or whatever. But we, we need to learn how to get past that mm-hmm. because... A lot of times we have not factored in maybe all the the cumulative impact of dozens of times that we've devalued our spouse, you mm-hmm. know, we've ignored them, whatever. I think the best way to avoid the value trigger is to just kind of reframe how you think about your relationship. Instead of asking yourself, does this matter to my partner? Ask yourself, does my partner matter to me? That's a better question. Yeah. Yeah. It's just putting putting your partner first. And- yeah. Thinking, how can I serve them, basically? Yeah. So that art of thoughtfulness, you know, a lot of times that that will come easier for those of us that had parents that were maybe proactive in doing that. Mm-hmm. But but a good bit of us didn't yeah. have that. So we've never had that modeled. We have not seen that in action. Uh, so we just kind of think more in a every person for themselves kind of mentality. You're right. not You're not really going out of your way. Mm-hmm. to be inconsiderate, but you're not really going out of your way to be considerate. Right. And so what we're saying is go out of your way 
to be considerate. Yeah. Condition yourself to to think about your spouse's not just needs but thoughts and emotions and and expressions. Yeah, I because everyone's probably been around some married couple who loves each other so much and shows each other so much admiration and attention and mm-hmm. and it's 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 almost like a I, I guess that's a rarity these days because I know that when, just sitting here thinking of, I know a lot of married couples who are like that, but we are with married couples all the time. Mm-hmm. I wonder if your average married couple's like, hmm, I got to think of who would fit that bill, mm-hmm. who really just is crazy about each other. But what it does is it shines such a light, you know, in this world. And those couples don't have that just because they lucked out. Right. They yeah. have that because they've fed that they and put, nurtured it. Right. They, yeah. put, they put that in motion. They have cared for each other. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So moving on to number three, this is the resentment trigger. Mm. And this is shirking responsibility and dumping it on your partner. So, you know, no one wants to be married to a grown child. <laughs> There's especially. a lot of grown children walking around <laughs> especially the U.S. If you're, right now. If you're raising kids already, you know, the last thing you want to do is be married to a kid. Mm-hmm. But if you consistently leave all of the heavy lifting, the emotional stuff, the financial, the even the social stuff to your partner, do not be surprised if one day his or her reaction is just sheer resentment. Mm-hmm. No one wants to always be the responsible one or the killjoy with the kids or the one who's got a the bad cop. Right. You and, know. And let me say this. So sometimes people's temperament combinations, you know, they might go into their marriage with the setup like, well, he's just like that and I'm like this, so I'll just take the ball and I'll run with this and yeah. they'll do that for several years. Yeah. And and kind of lean into their natural strengths and so forth. Mm-hmm. The problem is, like you said, eventually this is going to wear and tear on the marriage. Yeah. Eventually the person who is responsible uh, is is going to get start, tired of it, get, get exhausted and then start demonstrating resentment. Yeah. We hear that sometimes when we'll sit with couples where let's just for example, it's not always the wife, but in this, I'm thinking about a, a wife in particular who just manages everything mm-hmm. and he goes to work and he does provide a good living for the family. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge thing. That's- but she makes all of the decisions. She decides where they're going on vacation. She signs the kids up for a little league. She does everything. And she says to us, I feel like a single parent, except I'm married. Mm-hmm. And maybe they both set it up that way mm-hmm. in the maybe. early years. It's possible. But at any rate, you want more of a shared responsibility for these things. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we realize that responsibility never equates exactly 50-50 in a relationship at all times. You're going to have seasons where you're doing more, the other person's And there's nothing wrong with playing to your strengths. No, not at all. But both partners have to come to the table and contribute. So Mm -hmm. if you're frequently hearing words from your spouse like, I really need you to help me, or Mm -hmm. I need you to step up to the plate, it's time to change your game. The best way to avoid the resentment trigger is to stop thinking about what you can get and what you can start putting in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the number four is the stagnation trigger. And this is when you just re- repeating mistakes over and over and over and never learning from them, never growing. So the definition of insanity, basically. Basically, yeah. Relationships thrive on growth and successful relationships don't look the same that the, as they did 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. They're always kind of evolving. Mm-hmm. You have to do a lot of 
uh, restarts, rebrands, and mm-hmm. uh, recalibrations. Reinventions, re-ups. yeah. Yes, reups. So when one partner stagnates, the other partner grows apart simply by continuing to grow. And, you know, married couples don't need to be in the business of trying to change each other, mm-hmm. but we do play a role in challenging each other to grow into our potential. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, uh, if you if, if you repeat the same mistakes or you dig your heels in and you resist change, then you're triggering a fear in your partner that the relationship is stagnating. Like that this it, is not going anywhere. Exactly. Now I'm getting in paralysis because I feel like uh, nothing's going to change. Yeah, and so I think the best way to avoid the stagnation trigger is just to adopt the practice of self-improvement, relationship improvement. You know, ask yourself every day, how can I be a little bit better for my spouse? How can I make my relationship a little bit better? Mm -hmm. We encounter this a lot with people who, you know, I'll hear people say, well, we're just kind of, you know, we're old dogs. We're not going to be able to Mm -hmm. learn how to do something new. And we go, that's just not true. Right. I think some people hear some of what we're unpacking here and they think, gosh, that sounds exhausting. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because Maybe it does. Yeah, but it's really not. It just takes practice and then it just becomes part of your DNA. And then once it is, you don't even think about it anymore. Yeah. And life goes smoother. And it's like we've said many times, it's like that old mechanic commercial, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. later. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. exactly. Might as well keep the costs low. Yeah. Well, the fifth trigger is the despair trigger. And this is kind of what this particular blogger calls the quadruple whammy. Because when the first four triggers are set off consistently, then you start moving into contempt. Yep. And as we know, John Gottman's research shows contempt is one of the most toxic traits in a marriage. It's the hardest one to turn around. It's one of the four horsemen. Yeah. So you may not be able to put your finger on the moment that your partner gave up on you and stopped trying because there often isn't a single moment, Mm -hmm. but it's an accumulation of moments that just kind of erode the partner's hope. Mm -hmm. So you trigger despair in your partner when you prove mainly through inaction, that things are just never going to change. They're never going to get better. Mm-hmm. And when despair sets in, your partner begins replacing time with you and doing some other things, so solo activities. Let me ask this question because we see this a lot. And frankly, we've seen this more with women than men mm-hmm. that once they get to that point, like, okay, this is never going to change. Mm-hmm. And they start talking First, they start talking in conversation of rewriting their history, like, well, I don't, I'm not sure if I was ever in love with them, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. You know, or I've fallen out of all those phrases that we've used before. Mm-hmm. I really want to encourage people, uh, spouses that feel like things are never going to change, to hang in there. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. What What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, they can change. I mean, we've it's funny, we've had conversations with people who've gotten divorced, you know, where let's say it was it was the wife who just kind of was like, nothing's ever going to change. Just, you know? just as an example. Yeah, we keep trying. Or what we'll typically hear is we'll hear from people who say, well, we'll try to turn things around and things will be different for a couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. then we're just back into our old ways, right. which, by the way, is just life. I mean, that just that is it's hard to turn anything around. There's but a especially- constant pressure working against marriage all the time. Yeah. The good news is God is greater than that, but yeah. there is a constant pressure yeah. that, that we always have to be aware of. But there really have been couples that we've talked to face to face who've divorced 
And the person who, let I'll just say, who didn't get it mm-hmm. while they were married, who didn't realize things had gotten as bad as they had right. until the person filed and left, right. we will hear them say, man, if I could do it over, I would I would go back, yeah. I would listen, mm-hmm. I would hear what she was saying, mm-hmm. I would not have just acted like it was going to go away and fix itself. Right. And that's when you go, man, why didn't you get this? You know, when you were, when you still had her. Right. You know, or, and it's not just the wife. I mean, I'm just using that for an example, but right. why, why can't we get that when we're still married? Why does it have to be such a. Yeah. And in general, you and I today are talking about things that are basically around the subject of neglect mm-hmm. or not being intentional. Yeah. Now, different conversation altogether. You and I have done some affair recovery participation, you know, with people and, and we've seen, those people in the very hard, very horrific uh, circumstances come to the other side and get stronger than they've ever been. Yes. So if that can happen in a fair recovery, mm-hmm. it can certainly happen in uh, neglect recovery. Just yeah. to... neglect recovery. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> well, uh, thank you very much. Yeah. No. That I just I. It's true. It's it's not a you know we we're just b- big believers that with God all things are possible. That's what Scripture says, and right. we believe that. And we've seen it. But it is so much harder when you reach that point. Right. That's a big ship trying to turn that around. Yeah. When you shut down your mind and say, "Okay, I'm I'm done. I'm kind of done. Yeah. And I'm so discouraged, and I'm so hopeless that I really don't believe that things will change. Yeah. But. God can give us hope that is beyond even those feelings. Yeah. I think despair really is, tends to be a, a direct result of unmet needs. Mm-hmm. And unmet needs are generally the final frontier in a relationship before everything just ends. Right. That's why it's so important to, to know what your emotional needs are mm-hmm. and to say what your emotional needs are. The, mm-hmm. That's not a, a narcissistic exercise. No. It's an important exercise for the emotional, even biblical health of your marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, Definitely. It, yeah, I totally agree. Well, discussing, discussing emotional triggers openly allows you to protect one another from being triggered. This is ironic because it's a vulnerable conversation, Mm -hmm. but it might actually go very far in helping you sort of protect each other. It forms a deeper emotional understanding between you both. And, you know, you might not be able to avoid triggers completely, but if you are aware of them, then you can at least do your best to avoid some triggering situations and uh, and care for each other in the process. Yeah. And I think in our anecdotal experiences with couples, uh, we've seen that just the awareness is huge. Big. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Excellent. Well, if you'd like to contact us, you can find us at marriagetothemax.org. You can also check out our website at homeencouragement.org. Also, we hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you have a topic or question you'd like for us to discuss on the podcast, send us an email to thehursts at homeencouragement.org, and we will do our best to get it on the air. We also hope you'll share the love by rating us on Apple Podcasts, and we would be thrilled if you would write a good review for us because this helps us have more visibility. That would trigger illicit joy in my wife. (laughs) A joy trigger. Thanks so much for listening today. And until next time, remember, healthy marriage, healthy world. God bless y'all.